0: The Feast of the Transfiguration, which we're celebrating today, is a powerful feast and its readings, I think, succeed in matching it in power. So, for example, we have Daniel on the one hand, who vividly describes the glory of Christ as the Son of Man, who's in possession of all authority and kingship, who rides on the clouds of heaven. And then on the other hand, we have St. Peter, who knows that Christ, in all his power, is coming. And so he counsels us, as a good shepherd would do, to keep our eyes fixed on that. You do well, he says, to be attentive to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now that revelation is meant really to define our whole life, to energize our activity, to capture the mystery behind the mundane. So what's the problem? We take our eyes off the promise. We cast our eyes elsewhere. Usually, in the final analysis, it's at ourselves. And I say this because these last three weeks, or these last several weeks, I've been preaching a series on the topic of acedia that is a demon at a vice that by habit enslaves us to ourselves. It's founded on the insistence of a freedom from anyone and anything, and is manifested often in a kind of disgust of being, which was the first reflection, and a sadness of soul at our ultimate good, which was last week's reflections. And these talks are uploaded to Spotify in case you're interested. And so now we get at the last installment of that series. If today's feast is meant to be a taste of our future, then today's reflection is an exposition on one more way that Assidia keeps us from obtaining it. And this time, I want to approach it from when we know Assidia has begun. What is that like? And I can sum that up in one word, boredom. Not the tedium of clock watching until, for example, this homily is over, which give it about 10 minutes but rather an existential boredom. A boredom that looks at life and just finds it meaningless. Consider, for example, maybe your own experience. Has life ever felt to you like a prison? Your alarm clock hits, the coffee machine bubbles away with its familiar sounds, which is really just the only one consolation that you have amidst the dreadful knowledge that truth is you're on your way to work. You snap the Tupperware on your same boring lunch, you get in the car to battle the same frenzied traffic, you wave to the same neighbors who are doing the same thing at the same time on your way, you head to the office like every other hamster in the machine, and you feel like your life is wasted away in a slavery to corporate America. And it just feels so empty. Pointless. What do you do? You begin to dream of a different life. What if I left my job? You know what? What if I just left it all? Left my family, my kids, my church, and I just did what I wanted to do, the way I used to be able to when I was younger and didn't have all of these commitments. Then you quietly envy the other people who have the life that you wish you had. That's acedia. And as acedia begins, life starts to feel meaningless. It starts to feel empty. The potentiality of youth is long gone, and the actuality of the present moment becomes overwhelmingly unbearable. And the truth is, the marketplace loves that. Companies spend billions of dollars tapping into your dissatisfaction with your life, with yourself. And they sell you a product that they've convinced you is gonna help you fill that void. And so we keep buying and buying and hoping and buying and hanging in there and buying again. It's how social media thrives. Hence the dawn of doom scrolling when people just endlessly scroll through their feeds like a mouse going for that dopamine hit. Hoping for some relief from the tedium of the unbearable present moment and the existential crisis you find yourself in. And it gets worse. With this boredom is a kind of nihilism that declares not just my situation, but nothing has meaning, nothing matters. And that kind of apathy is so characteristic of our culture, even in little ways. Think of our culture for a moment, how we continue to strip ourselves of formalities that used to be important, but now, eh, all under the guise of it doesn't matter, like wearing uniforms at work. I remember, and I admittedly, I thought it was the coolest thing of all time, when Apple as a company transitioned their business model into everybody just wearing jeans and a t-shirt, super cash. And you would start seeing their representations on their commercials dressed in the same way. And then you'd start seeing their employees looking like that in the store. And that trend caught like wildfire. We all thought that's so cool, it's not stuffy. But now when everything is casual, I find myself actually appreciating and longing for going back to some of those formalities. We've even changed formalities in our relationships, like in our family referring to relatives like our aunts and uncles just by their first names. Why? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who cares. That same spiritual malady infects the church. Father Richard Haleman says, for more than 50 years, we have been peddling a weak and watered down religion, a religion that denies the power of God a religion of activism that seems to abhor the call to advance in the spiritual life. It almost seems like the proponents of this modern-day Catholic religion were and are themselves plagued with Assidia. Some even militate against the restoration of sacred beauty and sacred worship. Because none of it matters. and all the work of right and sacred worship, it's too burdensome. So what happens? Our music, our vestments, our expressions of solemnity, like the use of incense and gospel processions, they receive little to no effort whatsoever. And they've all but evaporated to the point that me using incense is an anomaly in the life of the Catholic experience. We applaud short homilies and we love record fast paced, quick masses. Sometimes we even time them and we clap for the priest for being so sacrilegious. Saint Paul warns Timothy in the New Testament, in fact, about this very thing. He speaks of a time when, quote, people will be lovers of themselves, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That's Ascedia. And yet here we are in the Feast of the Transfiguration, a feast that boldly contradicts this kind of mentality. It speaks, in fact, of an ultimate truth who is God, and says, this God is coming at the end of time. He will judge us according to our life, which means my life and what I do with it matters. It all matters. And if I live, if, if I live my life in his service, then I get to participate in his glory. I can't think of anything more important than that. And so Father Richard says, if the culture and the world is going to change from this A seedic spirituality, it has to begin with us in the church. We must reclaim trust in the power of God and worship as though we actually believe in it. And then let that inform all of our actions as we spill forth back into society. And suddenly the tedium of the daily grind becomes absolutely saturated with meaning. It's now the battlefield of the soul, the gauntlet of the many yeses to Jesus Christ. And the norms that we adopt ritually, culturally, socially, morally, they matter because they keep me focused on the mystery that is at play, pregnant in every moment of my life. Such that calling Uncle Dave, Uncle, actually reminds me I'm not the center of the universe. We are not equals. I am not the highest being in reality and there are authorities above me. And that's good for my soul because the King of glory will come riding on the clouds of heaven and you know what that King isn't me and the sooner I realize that the happier I will be and the freer all of us will be because life reality and our greatest good is not the prison a is And surrender to Christ is what frees us from it.